This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Now here's my question as we come to the end of the series. How many fans are in the room and how many followers? How many like to be part of the game but never really get in it? Which one are you? You have to decide that now. And according to scripture, most of us are fans but not followers. We respect Jesus, cool guy, great teaching, but the idea of dying to myself and living for him, too much to ask. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Are you one of the 300? That's Pastor Jeff's question for us in today's episode. Hello, this is Today with Jeff Vines. It's great to have your company. We've reached the end of our series from Judges and the story of Gideon. Pastor Jeff's been exploring the seven resolutions we find in these verses. And today his message asks, are you one of the 300? Here's Pastor Jeff with more. Okay. We come to the end of a series, and quite frankly, some of you have said, you know, I'm sorry this series has to end. I'm not, because every time I do a series, I have to do life experiences, and if you're going to preach on, you know, being able to weather the storms and responding to the circumstances in your life in such a way as to bring you ultimate victories, then what God has to do is you're writing these sermons is put you in a, a mess to see how you respond so you can get more information on how you succeed or how you fail. And I want you to keep that in mind, that we are flawed, right? You you still remember that, right? You know, we're all sinners, right? We've got our issues. And what we say to everyone who ever comes to visit us is, if you're looking for the perfect church, you're not going to find it here. And besides, if it is perfect, don't come, you'll mess it up. And so (laughs) we're just, it's not a, we we all got problems. and, And we know that, we know that. And humility is a, is, it should be a trait of every Christ follower, shouldn't it? Because at the end of the day, we stand for something, but we know without the grace of God, we'd be in a world of hurt. Now, you should know by now when I start that way, it's a setup. I need to talk to you. This is my last weekend of this series, and I've been preparing all week or two weeks for the next series, which is just as intense as this one. I want to tell you my own struggles here, not not my own personal struggles, but But I got to read some scripture to you, and that's how we're going to start. It's always good to read the Word of God. Judges 7, the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets and the others. Now, you know the story that it's 300 against 135,000, better than a 450 to 1 odd, and God takes these 300 God takes the 300 out of the 32,000 and they, they experience an extraordinary adventure fraught with peril along the way, but ultimately an extraordinary victory, right? Now, let me read to you some other words from the Bible, okay? Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. That's hard for, that's hard for pastors to read. Matthew 7, 21. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers, not just you imposters, you evildoers. This seems to be a category of people who use the gospel for profit. It's a good thing that doesn't happen today. <laughs> Matthew 8, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then the teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So the first comment by Jesus is, if you think following me is going to be an easy life, you're going to have nice soft pillows and stay in five-star hotels, not going to happen. And the other guy, basically the language, uh, he's saying to Jesus, let me first go and bury my father, which means let me first go and make all the money in my father's business. And after I've made my money, then I'll come and I'll serve you. And Jesus says, no, let the spiritually dead take care of the physical problems of the world. And then in Luke 9, Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You become a Christ follower and suddenly it dawns on you, this is not as easy as you thought it was going to be. And then you go back the other way, he says, you're not fit for service in the kingdom of God. Those are not fun words. But do you see any relationship between those passages and 300 out of the 135,000 or 32,000? Do you see any comparison? I've got a friend who knows a famous jockey. Okay, they're the little guys who ride the horses. I got a friend in Australia who says, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse and chase the jockey. I've never understood that, but it's, I guess it's supposed to be funny. <laughs> so this jockey has won Belmont, won the Kentucky Derby. Actually, the horse won the race. He gets the credit. And he's been part of, he's very famous, by the way, been interviewed many, many times. And in the course of his life, he became a fan of Jesus. So in interviews, he would make sure he had a Bible on the table or maybe even in his hand. He wears a big hat with the letters J-E-S-U-S -S on it and the bracelet W-W-J-D. But his group of friends called him out. They said, dude, you got to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Everybody sees this Jesus paraphernalia that you're wearing you got the hat, the t-shirt, and everything else, but you've never been there. You ever had a hat and a shirt and a, from Disneyland or from someplace you've never been, but you wear them because it makes people think you have? And his friends who were genuine followers said, dude, stop telling everybody you're a Christian. You're killing us. So they confronted him in an intervention and said, you're making Christians look really bad. You got to get off the drugs. You got to stop the boozing and the womanizing. You got to stop it. You're just a fan. You're not a follower. My friend Kyle Ottoman wrote a great book by that name. Great book you should read. Fan. Are you a follower? You're a fan. Now here's my question as we come to the end of the series. How many fans are in the room and how many followers? How many like to be part of the game but never really get in it? Are you? Which one are you? You have to decide that now. Today's the day of salvation. 
Do you forgive rather than retaliate? Then you're a follower. Do you show mercy rather than retribution? Do you pray for your enemies rather than try to ruin them? Do you stop gossip and slander in its tracks, or do you sit idly by while others defame and ridicule? From where does your sexual ethic come? Oh boy, now we got it. Where do you base your morality or your ethics on anything? Popular opinion, culture, or the Bible? Are you a fan or a follower? Are you PC, politically correct, or JC, Jesus correct? Which one are you? Can I tell you, this has been a struggle my entire life, in my own life, to ask myself that question. What is the relationship between grace and the will? Because sometimes I meet people who love to talk about the grace of God, but I see no intention in their lives to follow Jesus. How does that work? Can you say, well, I'm saved by the grace of God, I'm so thankful for it, and have no intention in your life of living and following Jesus? Is that possible? I just don't think so. I don't know how to explain it. But if there's no passion deep within you to live according to Scripture and according to the ways of Christ, how can you possibly say that you're saved? Again and again in the scripture, I read that the road is narrow and only a few find it. That there are far more fans than legitimate, authentic followers. That they're rare. They're rare. And so I'm constantly asking myself, which category am I in? Because I don't pay the penalty that... A, Ajay Law would pay for preaching the gospel. I get paid to do this. What real sacrifice is there in my own life? Do you know that less than, for you sports people, less than 1.3% of all NCAA players drafted into the NBA make it as an NBA performer? Now, I've got to repeat that. You've got to think about what I'm saying. Less than 1.3% of all NCAA players drafted into the NBA make it as an NBA performer. We're not talking about the thousands of NCAA players who are excellent players, athletic, hardworking, dedicated, even stars of their leagues and divisions. We're talking about the very best of the best, the cream of the crop, the All-Americans, the scoring leaders, the defensive players. We're talking about the select few that are actually drafted by an NBA team. Out of those few that are actually drafted, only 1.3% of them make it. 0.003, less than 3 in 10,000, high school players drafted by an NBA team ultimately make a team roster. So if you're drafted by the NBA out of high school, chances are it doesn't mean anything. Unless you're LeBron James. He's, the, he's probably the reason it's 0.003. According to BaseballAmerica.com, the MBL, or the MLB rather, drafts 1,200 of America's best high school players every year. 900 of those players will agree to some sort of contract. Only 200 of those will ultimately play for a major league team, and it may not even be in the big league. It might be single A, double A, triple A. Many are called, few are chosen. And now to my favorite sport, golf. You ready for this? 
0.000005 of those who describe themselves as golfers will ever play professional golf. Less than 1% of all golfers on the planet break 80. Less than 1%. To play professional golf, you've got to break 70 on a regular basis. The numbers are staggering. There is a greater chance of you playing in the NBA than you playing professional golf. That's how hard it is. That's why Rick Reed and I are so good at this. We're, we're in that, you know, that, that, that level that's, uh, who knows? Yeah, I know we're not that good. Then I started reading about businesses. Seven out of every 10 small businesses fail in the first 36 months. Many are called, fewer chosen. In the story of Gideon, as we've been looking at it, the people of God are facing extermination. The Midianites are about to annihilate them. God calls his people to repentance, and then he calls one man, one out of, one out of so many, to be a leader and to lead the people to victory. Listen now. And then Gideon goes, and he recruits, and he calls 32,000. He blows the truf- trumpet, except to the Ephraimites, Ephraimites and all the... The warriors come running. He ends up with 32,000, but not everything that glitters is gold. So 32,000 were tested and scrutinized, and he ends up with 300. 300. God wanted to show Gideon that not everybody's in it to win it. They're not. Not all understand ultimately what is required. Many are interested not in the battle, or they may be as long as it doesn't require anything. This is in Scripture again and again and again, and I know we're looking up here at this level, and we're not going to go down in the weeds that much, but this is important stuff because a lot of people, uh, scholars right now, believe that because of what's happening in the Middle East that the time is near. Now, I don't know. I told you I'm not that smart to figure that out. Really, I don't think anybody is, but it really doesn't matter because you should be ready at all time. So where are you? Jesus warns again and again, you've got to be careful. You've got to watch. You've got to make sure that you're not one of those people who you want security, but you don't want sacrifice. You want the extraordinary without the effort, and you want a kingdom without any cost. And Jesus says, that's not possible. I have seen this through my ministry year after year after year. People come and they go, depending on what season of life they're in. But very few people remain. Many begin the journey, but when life does not turn out the way they plan, when God does not deliver in an expected way, when culture's definition of morality is favored, when the cost to follow seems too great, the weed is separated from the chaff, and the seed that never truly penetrated the heart falls by the wayside. It bothers me and disturbs me that Jesus says, be careful of judging because you never know what's in a person's heart. Some people look like wheat, they're weeds. Others look like weeds, but they're wheat. The Christian life, will you not agree with me, is a constant battle between the temporal and the eternal, between purity and impurity, between the flesh and the spirit, between the world that is and the one that is to come, between God and Satan himself. And your enemy is organized. And there are two kingdoms that are diametrically opposed to one another, and you've got to choose. You don't just drift into them. You choose. And although you may be flawed, your entire life is about making those choices every day between this kingdom 
and Christ's kingdom. And according to Scripture, most of us are fans but not followers. We respect Jesus, cool guy, great teaching, but the idea of dying to myself and living for him, too much to ask. And here's the thing that I've been wanting to show you through this whole series. Temptation is not the thing, ultimately, that takes you back away from God. Did you know that? It's not temptation. It's trial. Suddenly, you can't harmonize why your world's falling apart with the idea that God has his best intentions in mind for you. More people walk away from God when things aren't going the way they think they should. And the reality is that's because they're a fan not a follower. They want Jesus to follow them. They have no intentions of following him. That's why we've stated these seven resolutions. We've said, and remember what a resolution is. It's a making a firm decision that this is how I'm going to respond to these circumstances in my life. Because let me tell you, again, I don't know, and many of you know my, my belief on the book of Revelation, but let's just say that 70% of the evangelical world is right, and there's going to be a time of tribulation right here, right now. If you're a fan, you will fade. You'll fade quickly. If you're a follower, you lean into eternity. You expect it to come, and you're willing to pay the ultimate price. So we've said, we're going to make a resolution right now, and we're going to live by these resolutions. We're going to see the Unfortunate events of our lives as God's opportunity to build our faith and trust in Him. I'm going to assume that God will often require me to do things that seem unreasonable. I'm going to acknowledge that God will always lead me to do that which brings Him the most glory. I will be aware that God will often strip me of everything I depend upon other than Himself. I will keep in mind that God will send me encouragement when I grow faint-hearted. I will live as though God is always working on the other side of the camp, because he always is, and I will resist the temptation to sit on God's throne. So if God allows something into my life, I'm going to assume there is great purpose and reason. And as we said last week, even though there is a time of weeping and mourning and a time of coming alongside each other and helping each other, the bottom line is this, God is at work. God does his best work in some of the toughest seasons of your life. We are people of the way. We are people of the cross. And when was Jesus most centered in the will of the Father? When he was dying on the cross. And the person who lives by these resolutions, they're like a tree planted by streams of water, and everything they do will prosper. Okay, Pastor Jeff, I got it. But what are you going to leave us with? And I want to leave you with this. I've met these people. They're around the one in 300. I've met them. They're not perfect. They're still deeply flawed. But their will is as strong as their humility. They have this keen awareness that they're in a battle that matters to their soul and to eternity. And I've tried to get them on this stage from time to time. Some of them, like Dr. Ajay Law, who says the gospel has to be preached even if it costs me my life. And he quotes the famous line by Jim Elliott, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Did you know that if you're a follower, you may be asked to give the ultimate sacrifice someday in order that those far from God might come near. If you're a follower, you say, Hanani. Here I am, Lord, send me. If you're a fan, no way.
It's too much. Do you know there are fans all across the world in different parts of the world that give their lives every day for the cause of Christ? We just happen to live in the affluent West. We're not required to give our lives at this point, but it's coming. What will you do? I've got a friend, Ian Young, who is a very wealthy fisherman from Scotland. And he said he had a vision at one point in his life where God said, I, and this is very common to the New Testament as well, I, I want you to stop fishing for fish. He was making a lucrative career. And I want you to start fishing for men. So he sold his company. And he's trying to get the gospel out to as many people as he can get it out to. I met with him last week and he said, you know, Jeff, Christians are hard to work with. Isn't it true? He said, I'm a bit tired and weary. In the business world, it's a lot easier. Imagine that. If you just make a call and get it done. These Christians, man, it's hard to work with them. I got another friend, Mark, that I just spent a few days with. And I said, Mark, you've made so much money, man. Why are you working now? You're close to 60. Retire and go see the workers. Are you crazy? Everything I make now, I can invest into the kingdom of God. There's a guy down the road with reasons to believe called Hugh Ross. He's an astrophysicist. He's an amazing man. I don't know how many of you know him well. He uses his knowledge, and he's got incredible knowledge, a gift that God has given him, not for self-glorification, but to help people far from God come near to God. When the pastors of northern India were suffering a few years ago, remember? Their houses were being burned. They were dipped in hydrochloric acid. Their families were being kidnapped and sent into slavery. We asked Dr. Law how we could pray. How can American Christians pray for these pastors? Remember what he said? And I quote, don't pray that the persecution ends. Pray that we will be brave and courageous enough to endure it. This is how the kingdom grows. That's a follower. He's right. The history of the church shows that when we as individuals or the church is persecuted or we suffer, the kingdom grows. The pain of life does not cause the true believer to walk away. It causes him or her to lean into eternity. But do you know what else it is? And this is why I'm trying to say this now. It's why this is the addendum to the sermon series. It's why this is the final message. Usually we just go on, but, but I can't. Because it's also the great revealer. Pain, suffering in your life reveals who you really are. And you can't hide it. Whether you're following Christ or expecting him to follow you. Whether you know that God has a plan for your life or you're still trying to have a plan for him. Right now, there are many who believe the conflict in the Middle East is the beginning of the end. There are many who believe this. I still say it's very difficult to know because the timeline, it's very difficult to know how long certain events last. But again, it doesn't matter. The question is, are you ready? If, if it's next week, are you ready? The week after? Year after? Are you ready? When you meet Jesus, I'm convinced that if you're part of this church, Jesus, if you're not ready, is going to replay this sermon. Did you not hear? Let me just show you this. Pastor Jeff stood on the stage and he kept asking you, are you ready? You thought it was because he had a lack of material. But he kept saying, are you ready? And you just thought about what you were going to have for dinner after church. Did you not hear what he asked? Are you ready? 
You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. You can't keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. You have to decide who you really are. Are you part of the 9,700 who, when asked to get serious about the battle, went home? Are you part of the 22,000 who, when they were asked to be brave and courageous, said that's too much to ask and went their own way? Or are you part of the 300 who said, I'm in, no matter what it costs me? You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.